All right, we're beginning at the beginning, the book of Genesis. This week I posted, or yesterday I was at the, at the river on the boat, and I posted something about, well, last fun before we start Genesis and biz comments. Well, that doesn't sound like Genesis is going to be much fun. So I was like, no, I'm super excited about Genesis. I'm so glad that everyone is here to kick off Genesis with us. One point of clarification, we've been making a big deal about how excited we are to go through the whole Bible as a whole church in three years. Well, we're not doing that in the sermon. We're starting in Genesis and we're going through Genesis, but I'm not preaching through the whole Bible in three years. The curriculum that we're going to do, we'll talk more about how to participate in that three-year study with us at the end of the service. But as we begin to think about our sermon today, we're going to look at seven Hebrew words. I think that's eight English words. That's all we're looking at, Genesis 1-1 today. How in the world can we spend this whole time together looking at just one verse? Well, I tell you, we could spend a whole year looking at just this one verse because it is packed full with so much rich, incredible truth for us that we could spend years developing an understanding and an appreciation for the depths of what here. But here's what I want to think about today. In particular, what I hope happens today. And to get us thinking about that, let me ask you a question. It's, it's, it's a question that's a little loaded because I hope you get it wrong. But it's, it's not going to be wrong. It's just not going to be exactly what I want. So what in the world are you talking about? All right. What would someone else most typically think about when they think of Jesus? Like, don't think of Genesis. I want you to get this wrong. So think New Testament. A lot of times people think about Jesus. What are some things they think about Jesus? Just throw it out there. Interact with me. Virgin birth, teacher, teacher, the cross, resurrection, what was that? Son of God, carpenter, miracles, walking on water, feeding people, and that is all absolutely right. So when I said, I hope you get it wrong, you got it wrong, but that was right. Does that make any sense? The reason I wanted you to say it that way is because that is all true and all wonderful and all glorious, but all New Testament. And what we're going to do today is see our minds are going to be exploded, our our theology of Jesus, our concept of Jesus, I pray, is just magnified and glorified and just enlarged. It's so much more robust understanding of who he is, the God who created, the God of the universe died on the cross for you. That's mind-blowing. And that's what we pray happens today. Lord, we ask that you would do that in our hearts today as we see Jesus in Genesis 1-1. And we get a a concept, just just a a 30-minute glimpse of who he is. And I pray, Lord, that it moves our hearts to worship in song and that we sing and we rejoice in just how incredible you are to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Three simple phrases that changed the world. For months, we've been looking at our Bible our study of the Bible, the nature and characteristics of the Bible, that this book that we have, God gave to us. He gave us 
revelation of himself and how things work and that the things in here are not the things that we naturally would think of or come up with. This wisdom of God has been revealed. And the very opening line of this book says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that word, in the beginning, is a Hebrew word. There are two different Hebrew words the author could have chosen. One is in the beginning, meaning there's the first event, then there's a second event of a sequence. Like in the beginning of the service, we sang a song, and then we read scripture. That's not the word chosen here. Instead, this word is a word that means in the beginning, and the antonym is the end. And so it means it indicates the beginning of a timeline, in the very beginning of a story, in the very beginning of history. But even in the very beginning of the beginning of the book of the Bible, the word chosen in Hebrew anticipates an end. There is a beginning and there is an end to history, to creation, to this story. And so the author's choice of this word is very intentional to say, in the beginning of this limited duration of history, something happened. And already there's an anticipation of what happens, who does this, how does this story that has a beginning end, how did it even begin if it has a beginning And as any good story, we should keep reading to understand the answers. But the thing I want to point out here is that there is someone at the beginning of the beginning of history. Someone who already existed. An eternal pre-existing one is at the beginning before there was a beginning. Someone was there to create the very beginning of something that has an end. And so the act of creation begins, it's, the, it's, it's at the head of history. Creation is the beginning of time and space and history. This right there, we can stop there and just meditate on the profound implications of that. That you could draw, I was talking to someone in the foyer after this first service, and they were just dwelling on this right here. I said, did you hear anything else we said? I don't think so. All I could think about was that. But you could get a whiteboard, and you could draw a little dot, and that dot represents the history of the world and the universe and humanity. And then you could draw from that dot a line as far as you can go in one direction, and a line as far as you can go in the other direction. And there's only a dot representing this time and space in this this history of this world. Before that dot happened, there was God, eternally existing, and then he created. So this is an explanation of the beginning of the creation, the beginning of time and space and universe, and it's written by a man named Moses. The first five books of your Bible are actually five chapters of the first Bible, Moses was inspired by God and carried along. We saw this this summer, how this all worked. He was carried along by the Spirit of God, and he revealed to us things that man can't create. You know what man was coming up with during the time that Moses wrote this? Let me just give you a little glimpse of the things that they were coming up with in their literary mythology to explain the beginnings. 
And what we see is their creator God, because they did, unlike other cultures, they did have this concept of a one main creator God, but he rose up out of the waters. He rose up out of the seas. Where'd they come from? He rose up out of the seas, and he was in a great battle, a great war against the monsters, the gods, the monster gods of chaos. And in this long battle and struggle and war, he finally got victory over chaos. And then, this is gross, and then he spat and he sneezed and he did other nasty bodily functions to produce the elements of the atmosphere. Thank you very much. Glad that's not what we worship. But that's where it came from. I mean, that's what they came up. You know how they came up with that? Someone sneezed, someone spit, and someone did something else. And they said, this must be how things work. And they look at the sun and they say, this is vitally important. Let's create a sun god. And they see their desperate dependence on the rain and they create a rain, a god of rain. And they see they need the the herd to reproduce. And so they create a fertility God. And they see their own desires to have a family and reproduce. So they create fertility gods. But what are they doing? They are creating their gods. They are creating gods that they want to then in turn be able to manipulate to get what they want. They want rain. We need a rain God that we, through our cultic practices, can manipulate and cause them to perform rain. And their gods are quite capricious and not easy to appease when you think about trying to imagine that what you do can make rain happen or what you do can make the sun rise and fall or what you do, you realize you're not in control. And so their view of God is a very capricious God's. Their view of nature is very hostile. It's not, it's not a friendly environment. And so this is what they come up with. And so in the midst of this context, we see that they are basically looking up into heaven and creating their gods. That's what Matthews of the New American Commentary says. It's like they were looking up into heaven and seeing a mirror of themselves masquerading as gods. And in stark contrast, against that backdrop... Moses, who, who grew up in a Pharaoh's home, who knew all these ideas of culture and society and their gods, God inspires him. God reveals that's not how it worked. He writes these seven Hebrew words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's radically different than any other concept ever written about the beginning of all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the wisdom that God revealed to Moses, which is the only way we could know it, only way we could have broken free from such superstitious ideas that we see in all the religions of all the tribes. Every other tribal religion comes up with this concept of God from within the elements of creation that they can see and explain and understand themselves. And yet, in contrast to that, there's this God who existed before the dot. And he created. So that brings us to the main subject and verb of the sentence. God 
is the subject of the first sentence of your Bible. And the verb is God created. In Hebrew, the word for God is Elohim. It's, it's a, just a proper noun. It's not a proper name. It's just a noun for this concept that we have for God. And so what do you do? English literature teachers and students, what do you do when you're reading a book and the opening opening sentence introduces you to a main character, but it doesn't give you the name? What do you do? This is your time to interact. What do you do? You keep reading. Exactly. You keep reading. You're drawn into the story. You want to know more about this God This unnamed God, who you can already tell from the first sentence, was in existence before he created everything. And so we see, as you keep reading, you get to verse 4 of chapter 2. Turn in your Bibles, just one chapter over. Chapter 2, verse 4. This is the first naming. First time a proper name is used. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. So that's a summary sentence that is summarizing the next block of scripture you get to. One one stands alone by itself and says, first act. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 and through chapter 2, verse 4. Summary sentence bringing it to conclusion. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created In the day that the Lord Yahweh, God, Elohim, made the earth and the heavens. So the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is used to translate Yahweh, which is the covenant name of God. In the beginning, Yahweh. That's specific. That's not generic. That narrows it down in history. No, we're talking about this God. We're not talking about gods. We're not talking about generic gods. We're talking about Yahweh. In the beginning, Yahweh created the heavens and the earth. As we've already said before, the Pentateuch is the context. It's the proper context to answer the questions raised in the text. Who is this God? Well, we read the Pentateuch, the first five books of your Bible. And we saw all summer that the Pentateuch is in the context of the whole Bible. And so the whole Bible is one story. So what do we have going on here? What is Genesis 1-1? Is it a scientific, detailed explanation of every aspect of creation that we want answered? Yes or no? No. We got a lot of med students and a lot of doctors in this church. And so you come to this text, first of all, asking the question... What is the author's intent? And we don't force upon the text questions the author's not answering. Now, we can answer those questions best we can. We can look in science best we can. But ultimately, we must understand the intent of the Bible. And here we see the intent of this account. Genesis 1.1. Meet your God. Meet your God. He is the creator. He is the eternally pre-existing one. He started it. He began all that you know about history and time and space. He spoke it into existence, we will see next week. He's Yahweh, as we read the Pentateuch. He's the one, this 
God of the stars and the universe over and above and before all the universe. He's the one who enters into covenant with a human being named Abraham. He's the one that reveals his plan to his people. He's the one who created the land that the Pentateuch is all about. So he's the one that says, get out of this land because this land belongs to them. And if you want to be a part of this, you worship me. How dare anyone do that unless he's the creator? He's the one that has the right to give commands, a whole set of commands, and then a whole detailed set of commands and says, this is how you must live. It's not optional. This is how you must live. How dare him say that unless he is the creator? He is the one who delivers Israel, the fertility of, the, of Abraham and Sarah, the one who made them fertile and had lots of children, that they became a people, that they possessed, had a promised land to them, but they were enslaved in Egypt. He's the one who delivers them. How does he deliver them? By doing things that... Nature doesn't allow because he's over, above, sovereignly, providentially controlling, sustaining, guiding nature and history. That's how he can part the seas and tell the frogs, come in here, a whole bunch of you, locusts everywhere, flies, all kinds of crazy stuff because he's the creator. He's the one who does, which is what the pinnacle of the first book of your Bible, the Pentateuch, the pinnacle of that story is the covenant at Sinai. All of this is what that story is building to, and it begins with he's the creator, and he saved, he delivers, and he entered into covenant with Israel. So he's saying, Israel, in the first five books, meet your God. He's the creator. And we go, that's awesome. Thank you for explaining that ancient text to me for an ancient people. What does it have to do with us? Church, Christian, meet your God. That's what the Bible does, is the Bible continues the story. Let's take it a little further down the pages of the storyline and bring it home to our hearts. This God, this Yahweh, this deliverer, this one who enters into covenant with his people and gives them his will, this God took on flesh, entered into this realm of his creation. John 1, 1. Please turn to John chapter 1, verse 1 and read along with me. In John 1, verse 1, we see Jesus is God. He's with God. Listen to what he says. In the beginning was the Word. Before the name Jesus was on our tongues. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. In the beginning. That should recall 
these verses, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this idea of the Word was with God in the beginning, but He was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. And without him, not... In, I mean, you can't grammatically make this more complicated to make your point. Just in English, you can feel it. And without him was not anything made that was made. The point is, nothing was made without him. Every single thing was made with him. Because he was with him, he was him, he was there. It was all made by him, with him, through him. And then go down to verse 14. And that word, that word who was in the beginning with God, was God, and made every single thing with him, as him, that God, that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. We've seen the glory of this eternal creator. That's what John is saying. We've seen his glory. Verse 16. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Look at the mountains, grace. Look at the stars, grace. Look at the sun, grace. Look at Jesus, grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace... And truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the invisible, preexistent, eternal creator of the universe who was there eternally, invisibly before creation ever came about. No one's ever seen him. The only God who's at the Father's side, but Jesus has made him known. You want to see the creator, you see Jesus. You want to know the creator, know Jesus. You want to know who flung the stars into space, know Jesus. Because he's the creator. He's Yahweh. He's the covenant God of Abraham. He's the covenant God who delivered Israel. He's the covenant God of Israel. He's the one who was promised to come and he came and he entered into this world. He took on flesh and he was born in a humble manger to relate to us. The transcendent God becomes eminently personal. To know us, to know our pains, to know our sufferings, to know our brokenness, to know what it's like to have broken relationships and to have a sick body, to know all that and to overcome it and to die on the cross, to receive his own wrath that we deserve. And he took it upon himself. He was buried, he rose again, and he will come back. And what was begun will end. And then the line goes on forever. Wow. Let's worship Jesus. Hold on. Not yet. I got more. (laughs) Moses tells us that he created. A Hebrew scholar, W.H. Schmidt, says that the Hebrew word for created carries the idea of creating something from nothing. I don't understand that. Well, get over it. You're not God. 
He created something out of nothing. He did not mix materials of existing creation to create something. He was not like most of the culture's gods of various tribes. He is not from among the elements. He did not rise up out of the water. He spoke the water into existence. And through the mere power of his word, it came to be. Listen to what he says. Schmidt goes on to say this expression, this Hebrew word for created, out of nothing, that implies out of nothing because he was there before there was anything. Schmidt says this expression expresses God's, I love this. This is what I couldn't shake all week. God's effortless, totally free and unbound creating his sovereignty. This word expresses God's effortless, he just made it. It wasn't hard. It wasn't a battle. It wasn't a long struggle. It was effortless. Totally free and unbound. Nobody's persuading him. Nobody's convincing him. This was his idea. His personal desire to do this. It wasn't like he said, oh, I got to go. He's like, I want to create. Out of his character, he creates this glorious creation. And it's effortlessly. He just says, boom, and it's there. It expresses his effortless, totally free, unbound creating. It expresses his Sovereignty. He's sovereign. I mean, he made it. He gets to say what happens. He gets to say what happens to this particular piece of land. And who the blessings will come through. Not through anyone. Not so that it's fair. But because it's going to come through Abraham and his seed Through his people, the Messiah will come and he's the one that will bring all restoration. And there's no other way. And that's why he can say, there is one way. And there's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved but through him, Jesus Christ. Because he's God. And he made it. And he makes the rules. Get over it. Is what this text says to us. It's very humbling It's very humiliating that I would be questioning this God, that I would want Jesus to prove something to me. This is Jesus, the creator and the sustainer of all things, who graciously, willingly gifts creation and his land to us. This is so awesome. That's who Jesus is. This should impact your heart if it doesn't powerfully impact your heart to think of this simple, effortless, sovereign God as Jesus Christ who then enters into our world to save us from our sins. You might need to check your pulse. We need to consider that he effortlessly, freely, sovereignly created out of nothing 
But what exactly did he create? We get to that in the last phrase, the heavens and the earth. In this verse, we're told that he made the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew phrase is not exactly the same as the English. It doesn't say the heavens and the earth. It says the heavens and earth. That's a merism in Hebrew. It means It means everything. I tried to think of good English phrases that capture this idea, and the best I could come up with was the whole kit and caboodle. Anybody know that phrase? Everybody heard, you heard of that? Okay, brother, come on. I'm totally dating myself. Lost all cred with the high school department. The whole kit and caboodle. I Googled that and said, what does that even mean before I say that in the pulpit? It means everything. It, 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 I thought, what about the, everything in the kitchen sink? No, that's everything but the kitchen sink. That didn't work. It means everything. It doesn't mean two things. He didn't create the heavens and the earth, which the words for heaven and earth could literally be equally translated. And later, I think they are translated separately as sky and land. But here, it's not saying the sky, the land, or the heavens, the earth. He didn't make two things. It's a Hebrew merism, which means everything. And Hebrew scholars agree. In the beginning, God created everything. W.H. Schmidt says the Hebrew word means effortlessly, totally free, unbound, creating, sovereignly, speaking into existence, everything. This is saying, God, your God, Jesus your Lord, your Savior, your Master, the one who died for you, Yahweh created everything that exists in the universe, the sun, the moons, the stars, the mountains and the rocks, the oceans, lakes, and rivers. I was on the river yesterday. It's gorgeous. The animals, the plants they eat, and as we'll see in a couple weeks, humanity. He made everything effortlessly, unbound, freely, gladly, willingly. It was his idea because he loves you. This is, he made everything that everybody went this summer to go see. You stopped everything. I'm going to stop working, kids. You're going to stop going to school. And we're going to go look at this. Look at that mountain. Get your head out of your phones. Look at that mountain. That's a good thing for selfies. All right, turn and take that selfie with that in the background. Look at the sea. Look at the lake. Look at the river. Look at the sun, the moon, the stars. Look at the animals. God made it all effortlessly, benevolently, gladly, willingly for you. Jesus made it all from nothing. These seven Hebrew words about what Jesus did and who he is are profound. I'm going to invite the band to come now. And as they come, I'm going to list... You might write this down. The first service said you went way too fast. 
Seven attributes of Jesus. Hear me now. Seven attributes of Jesus that we see in creation. Creation extols Jesus' transcendence. Jesus is transcendent. He's over, above. He's not in creation. He's over creation. He's the God who was before creation, over creation. He is transcendent. Creation extols Jesus' supremacy. Jesus is the all-powerful one, the one who speaks it into existence. Jesus, the creation extols Jesus' authority. Jesus has the final authority on how to live your life. Why? Because he created Creation extols Jesus' exclusivity. There is no other God. There is only one God. His name is Jesus. Why? Because he created. Every other God that has been created has been imagined from something that he created. He is the supreme, exclusive God. Creation extols Jesus' sovereignty. Jesus rules over all because he created it all. He governs it. He watches over it. He has authority over it. Creation extols Jesus' eternality. Jesus is everlasting. He didn't start in the manger. Jesus was before, during, and after everything. He is eternal. Finally, creation extols Jesus' benevolence. God loves you. He did all that for you. Surely Paul was reading this as he wrote Colossians 1, 15 through 17, 13 through 17. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. Amen? Amen. Stand with me now as I read to you what the psalmist says. And sing with me. He says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. 
bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth.